This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're in the 757 and interested in getting locks, she is the one to go to. Specializes in all kinds of locks, dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, extensions, interlocks, interlocking, and more. To set an appointment, feel free to check her out on Facebook, Janique Locks. That's G-E underscore N-I-Q-U-E Locks. On Instagram, at Janique Locks, or simply visit her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this podcast. to say that uh, because it's necessary, uh, but welcome to the latest and greatest episode. It, it is. It is. It's very necessary right now. It is. Uh, latest and greatest episode of Eye to Eye, short for Inspired to Inspire. The podcast is all about being open, honest, and real about life and faith. And as always, we are willing to boldly go where most folks ain't trying to. Uh, and tonight, um, we're having a bit of a conversation, uh, but we're actually lending our ears to uh, a couple of really good friends of ours who have uh, joined us tonight. We're really glad to have them on. It's uh, Matt and Erica Matera. Uh, they'll tell you about themselves in just a second. But uh, again, as always, my name is Jordan. And my name is Devin. And we're glad to have you guys rocking with us. And uh, just a, a couple of quick updates. Devin, uh, how are you doing? Have you lost your mind yet? No, I'm actually in a better space than I was uh you know, a, a week or two ago when I said this could possibly be the worst year. But right now we actually have someone who's watching the boys three days a week and we currently have, you know, enough provisions. There's, there's milk and bread and some other things I won't mention on an inspired podcast. Uh, but I think we're, we're doing better than we were. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad. Glory to God. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, I know over here we're good. We've got, uh, we actually just went, shopping yesterday you know the toilet paper epidemic is still a thing for some reason but that's all right i'm going to let yeah. that go i was i was giving some thought to that i think it's because pe- people are just pooping at home a lot more than they are at work right i mean that could be a part of it like i was thinking about how often during the week do you go at work versus at home um yeah i mean i don't need full-on stats i'm just saying i was about to say i was like yeah, no but i, I was don't, just thinking about that i know that a lot of people don't like going i don't need an excel sheet i just <laughs> it was more of a, yeah, nah. a food for thought thing we, we, we won't be using stats okay. i don't know um <laughs> but yeah no i mean that that's definitely a part of the conversation I, I bet i have no doubt in my mind now my thing was this though i had to go to four grocery stores over the past two days um because Forget toilet paper. For some reason, it appears that everybody is taking all of the soft flour tortillas. Oh, and even the low carb joints. And it's yeah, it's it's the nerve wracking. Even the like, low I carb people getting cool. desperate. Yeah. getting desperate out there taking the low carb tortillas. Every single shelf that I went to, it wasn't that bad. Like it wouldn't be bad if it was like all of them were gone, but all of the corn tortillas were still there. And then it was like one pack. <laughs> 
of soft flour tortillas. And, you know, we keto over here, so they can't be the real ones. They got to be the low carb. And it was just that one pack sitting there staring me in the face like, can't eat me, witch. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. I was so mad. I went out for the first time today with a mask on. I felt ridiculous, but, you know, it's what we're told to do, I guess. You know, our masks haven't even come yet. Uh, come yet. We've been, uh, or I've been rather, uh, wearing bandanas uh-huh. out. So it's like the one time I can do that and probably not uh-huh. get in trouble uh, or be like a, a person of interest. <laughs> Just kind of put that out there. I'm walking into stores and like I'll, I'll come in with it off and then I'll put it on. <laughs> Lifting up your shirt to show your waistband. Like it's cool. That has to happen for some reason. I, I don't know why. I would. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that it seems like folks in my neighborhood are being safe and uh, precautionary measures are being taken. Yep. Everyone seems right. to be uh, physically distancing themselves. Physical distance. Remember, we're not socially distant. <laughs> um, that's just, you know, it's my theory. Whatever. Call me conspiracy theorist over distancing. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Let's uh, let's keep the party going, though, um, because I see another one of our friends has come back. Um, yeah. I want to introduce you guys to Matt and Erica Matera. Matt, Erica, how you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having us. Excellent, man. Glad to have you guys on the podcast. Really, really glad. Um, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Um, I'll probably follow up with something petty because it's necessary. Uh, (laughs) And then we'll go ahead and and break some ground into some good conversation. Uh, So who are you? Tell us about yourselves. So uh, so my name is uh, Matt Matera. As you said, my wife, Erica, is sitting next to me. I am an active duty naval officer. I have been in the Navy now for going on uh, this June. It'll be 22 years. Uh, so I retire, uh, Lord willing, next year. I met my wife in the Navy. She's also prior Navy as well. Erica did a couple of years in the service, but I don't want to steal her thunder. That's how we met uh, during my time in the military. I've been all over the world, been to a lot of interesting places, served with some of the finest uh, men and women here in this, uh, this great country of ours, been through some very challenging situations, circumstances in that role in the military, none so much as, uh, you know, what we've walked through the past uh, about five years ago, but we're uh, a couple that loves the Lord. God has been faithful and with us and carried us through, through really just challenging things in the military, uh, traveling and deployments and all that comes with being a military family, but really adding an additional layer to that military family aspect of it has been some of the uh, personal journey and challenges we've had to maneuver through in our lives. So, Erica, did you want to key off of that? Or? No, I think you did a pretty good job. Oh, I think so, so she said I did a good job. Well, how long were you in the military? That's Talk good. Well, I was just in for a short two years. That's three more years than me, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the same thing here. Uh, and we, of course, as always, appreciate you guys' service. What uh, we wanted to do is we wanted to invite them on today, guys. And, you know, this is what we do. We scan in. This month actually is going to be uh, an interesting uh, month of interviews that are geared towards um, inspiration, specifically of overcoming uh, tragedy and turning them into triumph. Uh, so we're going to have a few more guests on this month. And I'm kind of excited for the people that we're going to have coming on. Uh, and it's going to be really awesome, but I didn't think, uh, that there would be a better way for us to kick this month off than to have these two guys on so that they can talk about, uh, their experience and what they were willing to walk through. Uh, we're really kind of just going to give them the mic and let them go. Uh, we're going to ask a couple questions probably, but, uh, just want you guys to walk with them through, uh, the series of events that they walk through, um, in life and love and loss. Um, and more importantly, uh, their ability to find their faith in God. 
uh, their ability to to move through it, um, still moving through it, no doubt, uh, and coming to a point where they can stand triumphant, um, even though the devil pretty much hit them with just about everything uh, he could try and throw at them. So uh, that being said, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys take it away. Thanks, guys. Wow, Jordan, you really you pitched that up, and I got some big shoes to fill now if I'm the one kicking this off. Uh, <laughs> it's been a it's been a heck of a ride. Like I said when I introduced my wife and I. We've been together now. This February will be 22 years. In and through that 22 years of being active duty, we've also had the maneuvers through some, some through some extreme hardship. Backpedaling before I even joined the military, really had to have to start probably when uh, when I was six years old. Uh, I lost my father to suicide, and that was the first loss, one of six suicide and self harm that I would experience over the span of about 30 years. Mm-hmm. I walked in the room right after. Uh, my father shot himself uh, moments after the gun went off, and the that really imprinted on my mind growing up without a father, not having the protection and not having the covering, not having the guidance of a of a man in the home was had a cascade effect on my life growing up. My little brother was not even born yet. My mom was probably was about maybe two months pregnant with him, maybe, and he was born uh, in May of 1985, so nine months later, eight and a half, nine months later, about yeah, eight, nine, eight months later. So he never met our dad. And that, of course, had a cascade effect in his life. There was a vacuum there of no father. We grew up in a single mom home, uh, low income, very difficult. And at some point, I decided, OK, I'm going to go into the military. When I was 20 years old. I said, I got to find something that's going to bring me part of something bigger than myself. I want to be part of an organization where I can. It's an honorable profession. Identify with a something that has a strong, predominantly male environment. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a home where the mom was very dominant for me going to the military represented the opportunity to be in an environment where there's a lot, a lot of guys. So um, I went into, to the recruiter and enlisted and I was 20 at the time. Uh, that's where I met my wife shortly after basic training. We met right after uh, you joined what about a month after I did. So I joined in June and Erica joined in July. No, oh, by the way, folks, we're from two different parts of the country. I'm from New England. That's why I talk a little funny, uh, <laughs> but my wife, Erica, tell them where you're from. Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Yeah, so you guys already don't get along anyway, especially in Atlanta football. By the way, we're still praying for you, uh, Matt. You know, oh, oh yes. I know. Oh, Losing yes. TB. We we also got uh, we got we got cheaters in in the Astros and the Red Sox. So that's that's also you know you got that in common. So that's good. <laughs> that's true. Great minds think alike, right? Yeah. Oh my God. How do, how does Brady go to anyway? I don't want to go there. I'm going to go on a tangent. Um, so Erica is from uh, the great state of Texas and the beautiful city of Houston, and that's kind of you know by the way that Texas connection. That's how we we're here now. But I'll get to that in a minute. So a month after I joined, Erica joined. God, you know, designed that and, and his, uh, with his golden thread, he wove that, oh, was already weaving in that connection. It was going to have my future wife go and join the same organization I was joining, albeit a month later. So we met um, September 1998. I was going to the one particular school for training for my specialty. And she was going to, uh, for first, we had two different specialties. She was a gunner's mate. And I was a radioman, and there was so many radioman coming to the Navy at the time that they had to put us in the overflow barracks. And the overflow barracks happened to be the gunner's main barracks. And I got to the barracks about a month before she did. Never forget it. The bus pulled up to the front of the barracks, and I saw this five foot. Well, she says five foot three. I really think it's five foot three. <laughs> in combat boots. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Five foot two, beautiful Hispanic female crossing the quarter deck. Locked eyes with me. I locked eyes with her. I wrote tie and she just walked right past me. <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks went by and we started talking more. What I didn't tell him is that we met in September and we got married in February. That's true. It was pretty quick. We, we met in September. We just hit it off really well. Obviously, God uh, intended this for us to be together. And uh, I didn't date her very long. And just one day I was outside in the courtyard of the barracks. We're co-ed barracks. And I said, hey, uh, I bought you a ring today. And she, she's like, oh, that's, that's cute. And I said, yeah, I got you a ring. I hope you like it. You know, you're going to be wearing it for a while. I, I figured, why not get you an engagement ring? And she's like, what are you talking about? We got married in February. The Navy was like, they didn't care that we were married. They're like, you're going to live in your barracks. Oh, and by the way, because you're married, you're not even going to live in the same barracks anymore. We're going to move you to the barracks down the down the block. Damn, they so kicked them out of my barracks. <laughs> Once we found out we're married, they kicked me out of the barracks. Cause they, they figured, you know, they know what married people do, and that's yeah. not what barracks are for. So uh, <laughs> you're going to move stuff down the road. And wow. anyway. Government um, encouraging real love right there. Then when we made it to San Diego. Oh, so we did. Oh. So we, met, we, did, we got stationed together in San Diego. She was on a ship, and I was on shore duty during her first two years in the military. Uh, we find out that we we're having a baby, and that was our oldest child. Elizabeth was born in February of 2000. Erica's already out of the Navy at this point. Uh, now she's following me on my career as we travel from San Diego to Guam. So I got stationed in Guam. Uh, did about two years at Guam. It's a very interesting tour of duty. Two super typhoons, 200-mile-an-hour winds, two earthquakes, and 9-11 happened while I was stationed. Anything interesting in Guam lately? Um, right. So, uh, no comment. Okay. I was trying, I was trying to see if I could get something, but that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll kill the CTs on this show. And that's not Christianity today. That's the yeah. conspiracy uh, theory. Continue. Move on. Move on. Yeah. There you go. So we were stationed in Guam, a lot of growth. It didn't seem like growth at the time. It just really seemed like uh, growing pains for our marriage and a lot of growing pains of maturity and, and choices. And that was our really our first overseas location. First time being away, like distance wise, geographically away from the mainland It's U.S. territory, but being in a different location. And you're, in a, you're like this little island in the, in the South Pacific. So there was there was a lot of challenge for our family and I in that regard. And God's hand was on us because, you know, I'm promote, I'm getting promoted in the meantime. You know, I've always had this absence of a father because of loss of my dad. So I did well in the military when it came to just pouring myself into that. But behind the scenes, there was always this gaping chest and this void of, you know, how do I fill that? And, and God, where are you? I know you're there. So we left Guam, left uh, left there and got stationed in Japan next. And I was on board a ship in Japan, USS Kitty Hawk. Even though he was forward deployed, we were on pretty good you know, ground there. Some of the growing pains that we had experienced while we were stationed in Guam, I, you know, was able to get past that. I was, uh, she was able to get past some things. We were able to grow together. And, and while we're stationed in Japan, I'm on board a warship, very busy. Cold War and terrorism in full effect now. And while I'm gone in March of 2004, the first set of news as a couple that really kind of introduced this flavor of, of grief in our family. And that was the death of my little brother who died from an overdose. I was on board the ship. I was, my supervisor came up, woke me up, told me to we needed to go down to the chaplain's office. And when you go to the chaplain's office for no reason, your chain of command is there waiting for you. It's usually not for a good reason. Long story short, I found out through an American Red Cross message that my little brother Ben was gone. And that for me was probably the beginning of a crisis of faith that I had. I grew up in the church. I've been saved since I was 10 years old. I've been through just about every denomination 
of evangelical Protestant. Uh, I've, even been to, I've even been to Catholic Mass before, but definitely Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Church of God, Assembly of God. I've been, you know, grew up in and around that. I got saved at a little Baptist church, went to their summer camp, went to their youth camp, and uh, was always active in youth groups. So I've always had this divine, invisible hand on my shoulder tapping me. When I lost my little brother, though, that was a point where I really felt alone. My dad's gone and my little brother. And I'll never forget, we were out at sea when I got the message. So I had to fly out of one country to go to another country. When I got home, I just poured my eyes out. I didn't see my wife and Elizabeth for several months because I was in the middle of deployment. And just to see them, it was a comfort to see them in the moment. But the fact of why I was there was heartbreaking. And you literally had been plane hopping for days just to get back onto a plane with us to go bury his brother. We got back stateside. You know, of course, I linked up with my dad's older brother, my uncle, very close to him, good guy. He lost his brother, my dad. I lost my brother. So we were a kindred spirit. And I said, hey, uh, Benjamin passed away. Uh, and, you know, he was devastated because, you know, that was the second loss we had in our family. And really, that made me the last one left of my dad. So my family rallied around me. We went back to Rhode Island, and I buried my little brother next to my dad. Just tears coming down my cheeks as my wife standing next to me, Elizabeth standing next to me, and the rest of my family as well. It took its, its toll on our marriage. Erica didn't know how to, you know, she's just watching me grieve and mourn and crying, nightmares in the middle of the night, getting up in the middle of the night, calling people up at 2 o'clock in the morning, Japan time. That challenge that seemed to simmer down a little bit because my, uh, my deployment was coming to an end. My busy schedule on the ship was coming to an end, and I was about to transfer and head to my next duty station, which was in Hawaii. So I poured myself into my work and excelled and do well. You also were clinging on to your uncle. He uh, built a very strong bond with him. Him and I had become close. We had He, he just had a, ten, a personality and temperament larger than life. He was like a character out of a movie. If you watch Sopranos or Goodfellas or any one of those, just that strong, wise guy. You know, mine's the criminal element. <laughs> just this larger-than-life, just uh, charisma about him and swagger about him. I really looked up to him and gravitated towards him, and he took me under his wing. And I remember hearing countless times to be on the phone with Matthew and tell, you know, stories about back in the day when him and Matthew's father were kids and hearing about how his dad grew up and what his dad was like and really filling in that void knowing his father the way most people yeah my uncle he really still stepped in the gap he was able he was starting to, we, we just became real close he was filling a lot of gaps because he knew i was feeling the sense of alone and it was just me now a few months after my little brother passed away i got a phone call that an uncle of mine on my mom's side had taken his own life so at that that point was insult to injury so so this my dad my little brother and uncle and then I'm stationed in Hawaii. I'm outside watching the Jeep. I'll never forget it. Erica comes outside and says, Matt, your cousin's on the phone. And when I answer the phone, I say, hey, what's going on? He goes, Maddie, I got some bad news. And he told me that his uh, little sister passed away, had taken her own life. So I had to fly from Hawaii, head back to Rhode Island and bury a cousin in the same cemetery, you know, next to my brother and next to my dad. It's brutal. You're losing, you're losing another, another one, a young one, and then they took their own life on top of it. After spending about a week staying with my uncle, I fly from Rhode Island back to uh, Hawaii again. I was stationed in Hawaii about four years, and I did well there with my job. Got promoted, but I was, again, wrestling with that grief and that anger against God, wrestling with that really that big question, why? Why does this keep happening? How do we get ahead of this problem? I don't even know where to begin, but I know you're real God, but I'm angry at you. So I'm just kind of, it's kind of like this self-looking ice cream cone of grief and why. 
And then, of course, there was a cascade effect in the family. You know, Erica and Elizabeth, they were in the grief with me. They were feeling it. Because I was so immersed in my grief, I wasn't able to be as dedicated and focused on my duties and responsibilities as a, as a husband and father. My walk with the Lord certainly wasn't strong. You know, Erica, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You had received the Lord when you were a teenager, though, right? I was like 18 years old. A friend of mine at work had invited me to youth group. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go. And this was like a year prior to joining the military. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And I remember going to my aunt's house who read the Bible all the time. Although she didn't live a Christian life, she did read the Bible on a regular basis. I think I might have borrowed a Bible from her. And I used to read it on my own. And that's how I came to know the Lord. But I've never known regular church life. Never, We didn't go to church. We weren't members of a church. The, the constant moving, not being able to be really planted in a church. I didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. So I was leaning on Matthew. Yeah. So yeah, she's so she's leaning on my broken faith, right? And, but, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Before I joined the military, I went to Bible school for a short season. And I was very heavily involved in youth before I joined the military. So I had all the knowledge here. But as far as walking with here, having a crisis of faith, and I'm having my wife leaning on me and my broken face. So you got a cripple leaning on a cripple. So we left Hawaii. Well, before we left oh, yeah. Hawaii, we did have Isabella. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, of course, <laughs> okay. that's right. Some, some, yeah, that's a big deal. So, uh, some good news. Good. All right. Yes, some good news <laughs> in the mix. So we had um, 2008. We found, actually 2007, Erica's pregnant. She's pregnant with our second baby. And... I was so excited, and the last one left carrying my name. So naturally, one would guess that I wanted a son. We go to the first ultrasound, and I mention this because it's just God works in such awesome ways. He knows the end from the beginning. I go to the ultrasound where you have to find out. We've always, we've always been the type where you just want to find out what we're having so we can buy the right. What are we buying, pink or blue? <laughs> the ultrasound technician says, congratulations, you're having a girl. Pink. So we're buying pink. Of course, I'm excited because baby's healthy, everything's good to go. But the back of my mind, like, Gosh, God, you know, I wanted a son. And I didn't say that out loud, but I was thinking in my mind, like, man, you know, and because and Erica had said, okay, we're going to have two kids and that's it. That's it. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to go buy a puppy. <laughs> um, but there's a reason why God gave us a daughter. So Isabella was born in April. She just, matter of fact, today is Isabella's birthday. She is 12 years old today. So we've been doing a, a, coronavirus quarantine birthday for Isabella. We ordered <laughs> Chinese food because that's her favorite meal. And her, one of her aunts came out to visit with us uh, over this past week just to spend a couple days with us. So That's awesome. And we're going to spare the bad joke on the Chinese food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about that last episode. We'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm going to pretend like I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it, It's good. Yeah, do that. Ignorance is bliss in this case. There you go. So, so. after what, like four or five years in Hawaii and we were over it. We were ready to get out of that so, place. So done with the island fever. <laughs> it's the first people who've ever said, I can't wait to leave Hawaii. Well, <laughs> think about it. We're stationed in Guam, an island. Yeah. Uh, Guam's beautiful, pristine, by the way. Gorgeous. Sure. Uh, but two years there, two years in Japan, which is an island. Yeah. Big. Yeah. And then Hawaii, I'm like, I'm over it. I'm ready. I, I, I like, it. I love road trips. I love road trips, and it's kind of tough to do a road trip on an island. So twenty minute road trips. <laughs> right. Back up the car, kids. We're going to Costco. Yeah. 
So we did, uh, we did four years there. We got stationed back on the East Coast in Virginia, Norfolk to be exact. Just deployed constantly. While we're on board that ship, I'm not, you know, there's things going on at home with our oldest daughter, Elizabeth, that I wasn't seeing because I was gone. When I was home, neither one of us were spiritually or intellectually equipped to see what was really happening. By the time 2012 comes around, we get ready to have my unit and I, we get ready to head out on a huge deployment. While I'm out at sea, I'm getting emails from Erica that Elizabeth's having issues at school and she's talking about hurting herself. She's having behavioral issues. And so that for me is really starting to solicit some panic. While I'm out there, I get an email one morning from a, from a cousin of mine, the same cousin who lost his sister. And he says, Manny, I have some very bad news. Uh, our uncle took his own life the other day. And that was the uncle that was really close to it. It was my dad's older brother. Matter of fact, it was his gun that my dad used back in 1984. He had a lot of demons he was wrestling with uh, and things emotionally that, that he just kept hidden inside that a lot of people didn't see. I certainly didn't see it. And he was the last person you'd ever imagine would, would do something like that. So my chain of command aboard the ship, fortunately, were read in on the family challenges I had been facing up until that point in my life. And the reason for that was because those guys on board that ship were strong Christian men. Several core key collective guys on that ship. And at the time, I was senior enlisted. And these are officers, senior officers on board the ship. And we did a twice-a-week Bible study together. Now, mind you, when God wants you somewhere, he will move heaven enough to put you there. Because when we were in Hawaii, we would tell people, like, we want to go to the East Coast. Every time someone's like, the Navy's not going to move you from one coast to another. Because the Navy was trying to cut the budget here, cut the budget there. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And when you have God on your side, there's a lot of I told you so that you can throw back at people. It's fun that way. Amen yeah. to that. <laughs> true story. Very true story. So we got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia, because God knew we needed to be there because it was strong uh, men that I needed to be connected with and, you know, lifetime friendships that have been made, not just on board that ship, but, you know, really friendships that have grown out of that with Jordan. And so a lot of people that we know, it's all key is having gotten stationed in Virginia. And all these relationships are part of the story that I'm telling. So we're on board the ship and the, the leadership on board. They knew because we were doing Bible studies together. They knew about the loss of my dad. They knew about the challenges my daughter was having. When they found out about my uncle, they knew the size and scope of the relationship that I had with him. And they said, we'll do whatever we got to do to get Matt off this ship. I, I won't say where we were, but I can tell you one thing. Where we were and the work we were doing, it was definitely a major muscle movement to get me off the back stateside. I'll never forget Erica. She was devastated too with me. So uh, I got home and I drove from Virginia up to Rhode Island, was there with my family as we buried my uncle next to the cousin, next to my brother, next to my dad. That was really a key time in my, our faith. I felt the, the prayer, the love and support of those guys back on board the ship. Roll into 2013 and the issues that our daughter Elizabeth was having really started coming to a head in the first of what was going to be the end of three hospitalizations for just emotional, spiritual, behavioral meltdowns. So the nightmarish, just nightmarish. The, the agony that she would, our daughter was wrestling with is just to this day we talk about it. It just, just breaks your heart. Poor girl was in three, in three over the course of three years from 2013 all the way to 2015 would end up being in the hospital three times for trying to hurt herself. Um, she was on a litany of medications. The, the, her medication cabinet, her medicine cabinet looked like a pharmacy. She was on more, seeing more therapists the hair on your head, but there was nothing. We weren't able to pin down what was causing her behavioral issues. We currently didn't see what was going to happen next. May of 2015, I got home early afternoon, 
started up to do some yard work around the yard. I had a big piece of land, about an acre of land. I'm about halfway done cutting the grass. School bus comes lumbering by, slows to a halt, and I see these two little feet get off the school bus. And it's Elizabeth. I waved hi at her. She waved hi at me. And that was the last time I saw Elizabeth on this, this side of eternity. I had about another half hour to go down on the grass. Finally cut, finished cutting the lawn, walk into the house, go look for Elizabeth. I can't find her. I look in every room, uh, you know, go, go into the back room, go upstairs. Still can't find her. She would, uh, had gone outside previously when she had an emotional issue. I thought maybe she was having another, uh, a breakdown. I thought she was an emotional breakdown outside. So maybe she was crying outside. So I looked outside for her, going to find her. Looked down the street, didn't see her down the road at the friend's house. And I really started to get concerned. I walked back into the house, and as I was getting ready to walk into the master bedroom, I saw the master closet, uh, and I looked down, and I saw Elizabeth laying on the floor, and I called her name out, and I said, hey, Elizabeth, we got to go, and she didn't respond to me, and I looked briefly around the closet, and it looked like a bomb went off, and it, that stuff had been pulled off the shelves. It was just had been torn apart, and I thought, the first thing that went through my mind is thought either A, she tried to overdose on her medication, or B, she tried to use a, a belt to, to hang herself, because in the past, she tried using a Christmas lights. A butcher knife, um, some other things to try to hurt herself. So I thought, well, maybe she was trying to hurt herself again. So I walk up to her. I lean down, and I know she has a Bible next to her. She's not responsive. I'm shaking her, and I roll her over, and I was not prepared for what I saw next. Elizabeth took her own life the same way that her grandfather did. And seeing that gunshot wound on, a, on my 15-year-old daughter, devastating. First thing that ran through my mind. First, my dad, my little brother, now my baby, not my baby. You just know when, you know when some things are, there's no reversing it. I want to do CPR, I'm checking for vitals, I'm doing all, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep from, from losing it at the same time, but I have to try to make, compartmentalize my emotions. I grab my phone, I fumble, pull it out of my pocket, call 911, and I just told him, get here as fast as you can. Do not leave me alone. I need somebody here right now. And I told him what had happened. I said, my baby, she, I just kept saying, my baby, my baby, my baby. The, the days and the, the weeks after that is, uh, you know, I've been writing about this on my blog too online, but just the, that whole entire experience, guys, is, was really the, the catalytic event to me running to the father, not running from him. Yeah. yeah. And, and we want you to walk through that. Uh, but, you know, uh, a couple of questions. Erica, I wanted to uh, talk to you briefly as well. There's a lot uh, that individuals have to walk through when it comes to dealing with issues of suicide. Um, I, I don't want to say it the wrong way, but, you know, for, for lack of a better word, uh, Matt was an old pro at this, at that particular point in time, if you get what I'm saying. Um, and you were there for him. Um, and it was his family, the direct connect of having his, uh, you know, his, his father, his, his, his cousin, his uncle. Um, and now this is also your baby too. Uh, so I just, I, you know, I wanted to do you some justice and give you a few minutes. All right, go ahead and talk about I guess this is the beginning of both of you guys uh, working this out. But I want to—I want you to talk about, uh, you know, what you went through in the process as well. Never had that moment where I was just going to give into the grief and just let it swallow me up. I can remember very clearly one day, within weeks after all of this had passed, sitting in my bedroom and hearing the bus rolling up to the house and knowing that she should have been getting off of that bus and should have been walking into the door and coming home. Out loud, with this anger throughout my body, said, you will not do to me what you did to her. I will not let you kill me the way you killed her. 
and I was speaking directly to the enemy. I had this fire rise up in my body and say, I'm not going to let you do that to me. I'm going to fight back. I hear all the time about parents who just get swallowed up by the grief and they medicate themselves by their hiding and they just forget that they have other children to raise. I wasn't going to let that happen to Isabella. I immersed myself in scripture and worship music every single day on the way to work, on the way home from work. When we got home, I didn't watch TV. We watched the most like wholesome of wholesome stuff on TV. Like Andy Griffith was what we watched. Our senses couldn't handle anything because we couldn't handle anything that was going to be loud or, or, you know, I didn't want to watch violent movies. Seriously, I used to play games like Call of Duty and World at War, Zombies. Sure. I couldn't, I used to watch Walking Dead. I got the raw of that stuff. I mean, I'm in a different place now, but even then, it's it just so raw. The visual aftermath locked in here that, you know, God, through, through the help of talking to friends and counselors and faith and and then for her, the aftermath of, as a mom, all, all losing the baby the, and, and finding out the way she did, she pulled up to the house and they, she, all the ambulances are right there. Just whole, everything about it, you know, put us in a different place where we like, okay, there's only going to be only one way to survive something this devastating. Something that raw, that painful, that just unadulterated hell is going to have to be overcome, but just pure, unadulterated heaven on earth and just open it up and, okay, God, come on in. We buried Elizabeth. In the same cemetery, next to my next to my little brother, next to my uncle, next to my cousin, all these other people, buried right there. We buried Elizabeth there. We stood at the end of my cousin's driveway. My cousin, he lives right across the street from the cemetery. We stood there. The sun was setting, and I could see the sun reflecting off the back of his headstone. I said, oh, er, yeah. I told Eric, I said, oh, yeah. I don't know how God's going to use this. I have no idea. God's going to use it somehow. I remember one day there was this particular song, "I'm Making Diamonds Out of You." That just song just kept playing over and over and over. And, you know, because I was asking him, where is the beauty for the ashes? And those, those lyrics kept playing over and over and over. I'm making diamonds out of you. And when I had that moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, he's talking to me. This is what he's telling me. That, that's the answer. And he's trying to refine you. He's trying to take away all that crud and refining you. That's when you're going to see the beauty for the ashes. and. I never heard that song again after that. Huh. <laughs> no, that's interesting. That's definitely interesting. But, you know, God does a strange way of doing certain things, and that, that can definitely be one of them. Um, talk to us about team right quick. Um, at this particular point, this is the heavy hitter of all heavy hitters. And, of course, you were talking about counseling and things of that nature. Um, how did you two lean into you? I just I think it goes back to what Erica said. Unspoken defiance against destruction. You killed our kid. That's our, that's our attitude that we had towards the enemy. You killed our kid. You're not killing us. I said some pretty, what would be considered irreverent prayers, uh, not to God per se, but it's out loud. I had some choice words for the enemy. Mm. Uh, that following July, uh, Erica's folks, um, her sister and her brother came up, the whole crew came up to visit us up in North Carolina. She and I got into a verbal, not crazy, but we got into a disagreement and Pent up anger and feelings I was having was got channeled towards her, anger she channeled towards me. And that one moment, and I think that was the last time really we, we've had a couple, you know, disagreements since then. But that for me was like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? This is, I need you. You're my best friend. 
matter of fact, whenever I say you're my best friend, you know that song from the Golden Girls? She'll, she'll <laughs> sing that along. <laughs> I'm like, oh, here we go again. But, a real, this is a real tough podcast, so we'll, we'll, we will uh, refrain from playing that. Devin, don't you dare plug that into. Don't do it. I'm not one to make lighthearted gestures at uh, such such deep, difficult topics. <laughs> okay, all right. So I would never. Um, but I, I do have a, a few questions I, I jotted down. Uh, didn't yeah. didn't really feel like interrupting at any point. <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it. Uh, the first one I have is is for Erica. You guys mentioned how how you met, and he's coming off the bus with all these other sailors. And after all this stuff that went on, at what point did you think, man, I picked the wrong sailor? (laughs) (laughs) Probably about five minutes afterwards. Wow. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. That's not my real question. Uh, My real question is, how are your kids today, uh, the, the two kids that you have? How are they doing? Uh, well, um, Marcus is a feisty little two-and-a-half-year-old. Mm-hmm. I think we heard him a little bit a minute ago. Yeah. yeah. He sounded That's a lot like my three-and-a-half-year-old. Yes. <laughs> That's one year behind. Yeah. So he, he's just full of life. You know, of course, have that moment where, like, you know, we wish Elizabeth was here with us. But at the same time, we feel so much love for him that are, like, I sometimes feel like my heart is going to burst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he brings so much joy. Yeah. Uh, and Isabella is strong in her faith. The wisdom that comes out of her mouth sometimes, I have no idea where it comes <laughs> from. She's so smart, just so driven, you know, to the point of she doesn't want to, like, disappoint us. And so we're constantly having to, you know, reinforce that we love you no matter what. She still has her moments where she comes to us and it's like she's really missing her sister you mentioned something about how you know she's it's like she's still definitely a part of you guys uh for sure and i actually just got finished uh listening to another podcast uh about just moving forward and you know how uh, a lot of people will, will talk to somebody after they lost a loved one and they talk about the ability to move on but you don't move on from a person you don't forget them you know they they still stay with you, you definitely move forward um how have you guys moved forward with her um, is, is there anything you guys do specifically to honor her? How does, how does that play out in your life? How does that cast out? Oh, we definitely, uh, do uh, honor her in that we keep her relevant. Yeah. Mm. So meaning that we talk about her on a daily basis, we have photos of her around the house, you know, even though Marcus is just two and a half years old, we point to her and tell him that's his big sister. Even though he doesn't know the difference and he he thinks it's Isabella. (laughs) You know, you get those common questions from people who don't know you and ask you, oh, how many kids do you have? I always include Elizabeth as one of my children. Yeah, that's awesome. I always say, well, I have three kids. Uh, I have one that's, uh, she went home to be with the Lord uh, a few years back. And I have a, you know, 12 year old and a two and a half year old. I think, uh, one of the other things we did was a year to the day, we spent the whole first year learning to walk again and find, just finding our legs again, so to speak. Uh, similar, if you see those guys that are military guys that have lost a limb, uh, they have to go through a lot of therapy to learn how to walk again because something so critical and vital and integral to themselves has that something they've been born with, something part of their body has been torn off, has been taken away. And for us, the loss of a child was something was torn from us. Um, and I knew... Um, that uh, really the key was to be connected with a body of believers 
that was going to be able to feed life and lend clarity and language to the to the vision God had laid before in the foundations of the world. In other, in other words, the work that Eric and I are doing now is not like God's plan B, like, oh, oh, oh Elizabeth's going, okay, let's go with the plan B. He knew this was going to happen. Not his... Not, he didn't want it to happen, but he knew it was going to happen. Try to try to wrap your head around that, you know, omniscient God that knows everything that exists outside of time. He knew that, you know, that invisible, divine, invisible hand tapping me on the shoulder, he bringing us, Eric and I, together, all the stuff we've walked through up to this point. He knew that this was that was going to be the nexus point where, you know, we had to handshake with heaven and say, okay, let's do this. And uh, a year to the day, I, we buried, a, we planted a tree in the backyard. That following Sunday, I t- well, that afternoon, I told Erica, hey, look what I did. She already knew I was doing it anyway. I showed it to her. And I said, okay, we're going to wave. She goes, oh, the church of Virginia Beach? I said, yep, we're going back to wave. That's where we're going. Because I got to get linked up with that in that type of environment just to really put color and shape and language to this fire that's burning in our hearts. We walked in and the worship service there at wave, just awesome. And I'm crying like a bubble, like a, like a baby. Just the healingness, the healing that, and then to watch, and I look down, I see Isabella crying because the worship, and she's lifting her hands. It's like, we're home. We're home. After that service, you guys know that Pastor Steve usually has an entourage there. Everybody's trying to go and talk to him, shake hands with him. Nobody was down there that day. I don't know if everybody's up to getting coffee or what. Something in my heart said, go down and go talk to Steve. I had met with him a couple years prior. He's got a mind like a steel trap. It goes, oh, hey, mate, I remember you. How are you? That's my. That's my Pastor Steve impression, by the way. That's pretty good. That was really good, actually. I'm impressed. <laughs> Especially <laughs> Boston. Like Bostonians don't know nothing but Boston. So that's that. I tell you, we parked the car, right? So I told him, I said, I'm doing good. Uh, I said, but a lot of water is going over the bridge since the last time we talked. And I brought him up to speed. And Chuck Chalfant was there. He called Chuck over and said, hey, I want to uh, get Matt's information. And then sure enough, Chuck called me up later on that day. I read Chuck in more. Started doing some follow-ups. Great getting coffee with Chuck. Uh Next thing you know, Eric and I were going to uh, the Chesapeake campus, which was a little bit closer to the house that we lived at. A little bit. That's it, right? And so. So absolutely being in that family-like environment in church really helps to not make you feel isolated in your pain. When you go through something that that terrible, it's really easy to turn bitter and harden Mm -hmm. your heart and, and start blaming each other as parents. I may I know I made a constant effort not to put the blame on him for anything. You know, cuz the devil will whisper it in your head, you hadn't done this or if they if he hadn't done that and it wouldn't have turned out this way and yeah, it's really easy to do that too to point the finger at the you know the day that Elizabeth passed away, her and Erica got into a fight. Yeah. And it's easy to point the fingers and blame yourself. Shoulda woulda coulda if I only done this, if I done that, you know, the, the, the rearview mirror is good when you can do some lessons learned, but the enemy likes to sometimes get you to use the rearview mirror to induce guilt. God never uses the rearview mirror in life to show us, look how many times you screwed up. God used the rearview mirror to show, look how many times I showed up. You mentioned the, the rearview mirror. Um, it's interesting having seen the whole arc of your story and what you've been telling us and how along the way, how differently you handled each loss because your maturity and your relationship in Christ was different. So losing your brother and, and what you turned to and how you behaved upon that versus then losing your uncle when you were surrounded by other brothers in Christ on a boat and how it was difficult, but 
it you could tell that there was just a different sense of of peace when you dealt with that and now the ultimate loss of of losing your daughter yet you were maybe at the maturest point in your relationship with with Christ and how that was able to get you to a point where you had this resilience that you probably wouldn't have had if you switched the order of those things. I'll tell you what, God, he knows the end from the beginning. And man, just to see his hand in and through all that. And it's funny, here we are now, we have uh, a two and a half year old, a son. And as much as I wanted a son at the time, when I found out that Isabella was going to be born, God knew I was not going to be able to raise the next kingdom generation of kingdom man because I had a lot of growth and development and there was going to be a lot of terrain I was going to have to navigate through. If I was raising a son wrestling with the stuff I was wrestling at that time in 2008, who knows what I would have passed down to him as an example. Right. Because yeah. God, his timing and his order and, and all that's just, you can't, and the moment it's easy to, to raise your fist and say, why? <laughs> but it's, you yeah. know, you look back now, it's like God has just this golden thread from eternity that keeps getting woven in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I kind of wanted to give you guys a thank you in a sense as well. You, you guys have been down in Texas for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was a very interesting year for me. Your story was actually one of the things that really inspired me. And one of my best friends uh, from college, uh, uh, she she took her own life as well. It was kind of crazy, though, because, um, you know, you went through an array of things where you had no clue that somebody was going through something. I never knew it could actually be like that. My friend, I walked through that battle with her for two years, uh, even to the point where I would be the one that she was on the phone with late at night or I'd be text messaging her. Um, and she would send a text back in the morning, like, uh, tried again last night, didn't work, still here. Like this, these are the things that you never want to see. My, my biggest fear was, uh, one day, uh, I was going to reach out and not get a text back because she was successful. And unfortunately that actually ended up being the case. The thing about it that, that got me and that, that hurt me the most. And actually at the same time gave me the most sense of peace. Uh, was that I knew that she was a fighter. You know, um, and no doubt your daughter was a fighter when she uh, when she left, we her family and I, we all had a gathering Mm -hmm. um, and she actually uh, wrote me a note and her mother gave it to me. And the note was really simple and it still jacks me up to this day and basically said, um, I'm sorry that I couldn't fight uh, for myself the way that you fought for me. Mm -hmm. And that jacked me up. The inspiration in that for me was I remembered everything that we had talked about. And I remember everything that you guys had gone through. And I remembered um, how you had, in a sense, you're still battling every day. Uh, but your ability to tell this story shows everyone that you are conquering everything that you have gone through that has gotten you up to this point. Give us uh, a bit of a scan in on, on your life. If you could tell anyone who is struggling and anyone who loves someone who is struggling, you know, if you could give them. Uh, any word of advice, what what would you tell to somebody who's struggling? And then what would you tell to somebody who's loving someone who is struggling? Golly, if somebody, if there's somebody out there right now struggling with, with thinking about that and those thoughts crossing that mind, first off, know that you're not alone. Those those thoughts cross a person's mind. It doesn't make them a weak person. There's, there's some of the greatest men of the Bible struggle with some with some thoughts of why am I here? Why is this happening? Smite me now, Lord, and I'll just get this over with. You know, this there are, there are guys in the Bible that have talked about this. And you look at some of the Psalms David wrote. He wrote some pretty heavy stuff. 
And he probably, I would imagine, wrestled with some pretty dark thoughts. Why do I say that? Because there's a taboo associated with, oh, if you thought about hurting yourself, you're, there's something weird about you, you've got problems. Nobody knows completely the war going on in a person's mind other than who that, that person who's, who's fighting that battle will cost the Lord. You're not alone. You're not weak. You're here for a reason and a purpose. And let me tell you another thing. My dad didn't think about his son coming in the bedroom afterwards and finding that. He didn't think about the impact that was going to have across generations. My daughter didn't think about, oh, my dad's outside right now cutting the grass, but he will come inside and find me. She didn't think about that as well. That's just devastating. And don't do that to the people who love you so much. Most suicides are violent. It's, um, it, it leaves a, a lasting impression on those who are left behind. There are sources and resources available to, to, to get help. And don't quit. Do not give up. Do not quit. Whatever it takes, don't quit. And the second thing is, for those that have walked through it and the other side of it and they've lost a family member or a close friend or colleague, you're not alone also. And there's a litany of emotions going through your mind. And, and gosh, I, I can speak to it from all generational aspects. And I know for me that the number, and for Erica as well, our number one resource has been you know, leaning on uh, our faith in God and our brothers and sisters. If you're the friend or a, or a colleague or, or a relative of somebody who has, who has lost somebody, probably sometimes the best thing that, that can be said is nothing at all except I love you and I'm here for you. There's no cliche that can be given to say, well, everything happens for a reason or they're in a better place now or all this other. Just, just give that person a hug. Let them know you're there for them and zip it. Death is, an, death is an unwelcome invader on the human experience. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. This is an unwelcome invader on the human stage that we were never meant to experience. And then, but you add a suicide adds an added, added layer of complication to it because it goes against that natural order of wanting to preserve yourself. It, it's complicated grief. Just tell them you're there for them. Just love them and keep the, keep the cliches at the door. To someone who's, you know, struggling with that they're not worth it or that the world would be better off without them. The pain that you're experiencing right now is nowhere near as devastating as the wake that you leave behind when you're not here anymore. If you could just take it one minute at a time, one hour at a time, or one day at a time, and just continue to tell yourself you're going to be okay. No matter how you're feeling, just reach out to somebody. I guarantee you that they're not going to be mad that you called them. You don't see any way out of it. But I promise you that there is a way out. The depression, the anxiety, whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, it's not going to last forever. But if you were to take your own life, that is forever. Yeah, and the cascade effects it does to people around you, it's just, it's not an answer. Know that, know that you're here for a reason and a purpose. Nobody's by accident. For those that have lost somebody, you're not alone. and There's a lot of support available to you. Um, Eric and I, we've been doing work on our website, speaking engagements and uh, you know, writing a book, finishing that process up now. So the best thing has been really just to have good friends that are patient and willing to listen and just pray with us and, and really just lend us a shoulder to cry on. You know? And that's it. And if you're someone who's supporting an individual who's going through a really hard time and they're expressing thoughts of suicide, keep reaching out to them. Yeah, that's good advice for sure. You uh, made hints already to the fact that you have resource and potential resource uh, available for anybody 
who would a like to once again kind of walk through the story, get some inspiration, and then also uh, some things that you just simply use to to help people. Uh, where can they quote unquote find you? Eric and I, we have a, a web presence uh, through our blog site. It's www.chartedlife365.com. That's C H R T E D L I F E 365.com. We also have a presence on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, and that's just at Chartered Life 365. Folks want to get a hold of me if they're looking for. To do something like this via podcast. Actually, this is the second gig like this I've done in the, in the past 10 days. But we also have a lot of individual people reach out to us and ask us for advice on how they're doing, mm-hmm. how to deal with a, a child yeah. who's, who's having issues at the current moment. And so we are more than willing to talk. So in, our, in my email, it could be, it's Matthew at charterlife365.com. It should be an email. Want to drop me a line that they can find me that way. Moses Shirley, uh, the other thing we're working on is a, is a book. It's a memoir. Now, if readers want to go on the website, they can go into the, uh, they can see, get a kind of a, a preview of what the actual memoir will be about. It's kind of a chapter by chapter, chronological order, what we talked about today. In a lot more detail, have a box of Kleenex with you and, uh, because it's compelling, it's raw. And then, uh, again, keep an eye out for the actual book once it's released. And, you know, once that's done, I'll, I'll reach out to you guys as well about the actual hard copy book. Yeah, please do. In the book, do you mention the analogy that you used, which really impacted me, where you said grief is like an ice cream cone? Um, I will never eat ice cream the same way again. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah, the self-looking ice cream cone of grief. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I can only eat ice cream out of a bowl now. Well, there you, you go. <laughs> I got a point. I'm a milkshake guy, so this didn't even phase me as far as that was concerned. Oh, that brings the boys to the yard. I love me a hey, milkshake. <laughs> beautiful thing. Beautiful daggone thing. Hey, Eric or Matt, hey, listen, thank you guys so much uh, for coming here and having this conversation with us. We, uh, we appreciate you more than you know. Um, and, of course, we continue to keep you guys lifted. Um, it was not social distancing that kept us separate here. It was Texas distancing. This was going to happen anyway. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we do appreciate it. And we just we, we pray that your message uh, really impacts folks who had a chance to, uh, to listen to it. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys once again uh, for scanning in and listening to the latest and greatest episode of Eye to Eye. Please don't forget to check us out on major platforms. Subscribe, like, share. Uh, leave comments because you love us and want us to be successful Uh, and as always uh, continue to be inspired to inspire because that is what the inspired one does again I'm Jordan and I'm Devin and we will holler at you next time stay safe and wash those hands man Eye to Eye is a production of Inspired One Enterprises. Thanks again for listening to the latest and greatest episode. Please don't forget to follow us on FB, Inspired One Enterprises, on Insta, 
at I2I Podcast. That is I underscore the number two underscore I Podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform. Uh, Leave those five stars and a generous review because you love us and want us to be successful. You know, like we want you to be successful. You know, it's like the whole reason why we've made this thing. Come on, man. Uh, Anyway, thank you once again for rocking with us. And please continue to be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. Yeah, y'all take it easy. We'll catch you next time. One love. Peace.